Hello everybody, Ashley here. I just wanted to start out with a little heads up that we had some minor issues when recording. Uh, it doesn't affect the episode much. There's a couple moments where our audio drops out briefly. I don't think it will be very difficult to tell from context what we were saying. It's only for a couple of seconds. So, uh, sorry about that. It's my janky old laptop to blame. So, if you don't like it, then buy me a new laptop. Okay, enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. Welcome to Literary Merit, the show where we tell you what media has value. Spoiler alert, it's all media. <laughs> also, spoiler alert, we will be discussing spoilers as usual, so here is your warning. I am Ashley. And I'm Alex. And let's start today with our five-minute masters, where we give you a master class in five minutes, because a real master's degree is fucking expensive. <laughs> Would you like to begin, Alex? I would love to begin with my master's class. Master class. Master's class. <laughs> um, masters of Master of the Universe. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research lately this week for some poetry stuff I'm working on. Oh. I'm working on a project about um, soda. And so I was like looking up different like cultural references that soda has and like for some reason, I, I got it, like interested in like the soda jerk, the profession of slinging sure, sodas. Sure, Interesting um, sort of profession that's fallen by the wayside. Yes. Um, and they had their own lingo. What? Yeah. They, well, I mean, it's like, it's like you know, drink, like if you're a bartender, there's yeah, certain lingo like right. on the rocks, da 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 Yeah. But th- it was so prolific and just quirky 50s stuff that it's like so good. they have their own total like i have a printout <laughs> of different terms so i'm gonna teach some soda jerk terms i would love that um baby is a glass of milk <laughs> um and I, I made some combinations of these for my poem but uh uh bottom is ice cream in a drink not a float nope it's a bottom i wonder where the parlance changed well these are this is simply between the like this was not like the the right. shop goers that but were, in that case i just i'm so curious like where none of these are cultural like these all of these they're so obscure like i guess um, it's like i understand having shorthand this but, is shorthand but also strange yeah so like um <laughs> my favorite one um, if you're adding raspberries, you say spit in it. <laughs> Love it. Um, or not, if you're adding nuts on top, that's gravel. Okay. Which, I mean, you can see the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, fizz is a scoop of sherbet or sorbet. So it can, like, cause it to fizz. Okay. Um, bucket of is like you add a bunch of stuff. It's like mm-hmm. it's a bucket of gravel and spit in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, uh, there's some um, white cow is a vanilla milkshake. Okay. Salties are peanuts. Patch is strawberries, like a strawberry patch. Uh-huh. One on the country is yogurt or buttermilk. Ah, what are they making? 
with like I it's, mean, I mean it, it's like a soda shop it's like so like malts malted milkshakes, milkshakes uh, yeah. sodas with ice cream sodas with different mix-ins like it's like there's so much that's like, and the that's drinks not... then were way different too like the the classic is the egg cream which no one drinks ever i've anyway. had an egg cream and they're pretty good but no but no you can't you, find it you can't cream. find them you have no. to go somewhere special to or you have to make cream. it yourself and yeah. it's yeah so you have to go to like a 50s diner to get an egg exactly cream. freak is orange flavored soda huh uh so i did some fun combinations like uh a natural bottom is a seven up with ice cream <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just i want to see like their mini because it's like it's a whole thing that we don't have anymore mm-hmm. like these kinds of drinks and these this whole well but it was like i'm sure there was a menu but it's also like whatever the hell you wanted like right we have stuff how do you want us to put it together exactly and like, like i just it was I, also yeah. new that like i'm sure kids and parents were just like saying like whatever yeah have you ever had a chocolate Coke? I have not, but they were pretty common back then. They because... are so good. Do you remember Bop and Bows? It's not mm-hmm. there anymore. It was this 50s diner over by the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, they It was really cute. They had all that, you know, 50s, Route 66 paraphernalia and stuff. And um, they had, it was all like, you know, the, the hamburgers were all named after like classic comedians and stuff like that. And they, they had... Mm-hmm. chocolate coke i think they just put hershey syrup in a coca-cola but it was right. great and it's the only place that i've ever seen it <laughs> and then that got me starting to think about ways to compare different uh they're called cryptolects which are like secret languages that are oh. based off of other uh, languages so like the, the big one is um polari which is the, the oh. gay language mm-hmm. um and so i'm like working on ways to sort of yeah mash those two together that's fun yeah Exciting. Polari will be the next five minute masters. Yeah, I would love to learn. Like, I know a little bit about Polari, and it's just really fascinating. But yeah, yeah I'd be very interested to learn more. Uh, well, my uh, five minute masters actually also takes us back to the 1950s. Whoa! I was reading about. Have you heard of the Teddy Boys of the early rock and roll days? No. Mm-mm. I sort of knew something about this, and I found an article, and I was like, oh, I want to learn more. So it was this early teen subculture, back when that was just starting to sort of be a thing. Mm-hmm. When rock and roll was new, and teenagerhood was new, <laughs> and it was the 50s, and kids were running amok. Um, and these, bo- mostly boys, also girls, um, and mostly... Um, upper class you know mostly wealthy because they had the money and the leisure time to spend on subcultures (laughs) (laughs) you know they had the freedom of subculture um they were called teddy boys because it was actually short for edwardian boys Hmm. they were modeling their fashion after edwardian fashions with these like draped coats and like ties and like drain pipe jeans and like quiffed hair mm-hmm. um but they were like rock and roll hooligans also <laughs> um just really fascinating and apparently they were like a a menace mm-hmm. i mean and not just in the like 1950s moral panic menace like they were like forming street gangs and like terrorizing people yeah. in their velvet coats <laughs> uh pretty great but like all of the like rock subcultures 
really can be traced back to the Teddy Boys. Like, mm-hmm. it was the first one. And they were beautiful, <laughs> awful little goblins. <laughs> and I love them. Like, they're so fancy. I, there's actually, I, I'm, you'll have to maybe describe these guys because they're just. Oh, that is a so striped uh, waistcoat. Waistcoat with yeah. two different. Yeah, uh, weaves of fabric striped. Yeah, I, I was, man, that's annoying. I was looking at this gallery of photos, and so when I open it back up, I expected it to start over, but it's not. They kind of look like the Clockwork Orange a little bit. Like a little bit. I assume that that's that Kubrick sort of, was drawing on that to a yeah. degree, mm-hmm. but it, the interesting thing is... Okay, that last one getting arrested was real hot. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like a confused James Dean with his shirt, shirt. being ripped open by a police officer. Yeah, ripped open. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, and the Beatles kind of dabbled, like yeah. pre-Beatles mm-hmm. Beatles dabbled yeah, in early, it, and that's early, where they early. got the suits and stuff. Oh, I love those ties. Those the fancy little, boys, little, yeah. Um, I forget what they're called, but they're little... Yeah, bolo sort of... They're not not bolos. They're like a Western style with the ribbon ties or whatever. Yeah, there's a Ringo star there. Look at these fancy guys. This is a photo... Oh, this is very... um, uh, What's his name? Al Capone? No, he's a (laughs) movie director. Don't know who you're talking about. Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, uh, Robert Rodriguez? The actor who... Oh, Quentin Tarantino. That's very Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, it's this guy with his broad-shouldered black suit with, like, a ribbon tie. Hair combed back. Flicked back, yeah. Well, and actually, that's interesting because they they were also really inspired by, like, early gangster films and, like, Mm -hmm. zoot suits and stuff. Yeah. Um... But then, like, the it sort of kept being revived. You know, the, it sort of survived through the early rock and roll era leather. through the 60s. Oh, yeah. that's like a leather cardigan. I know. Isn't that great? That shirt underneath, it's like a tile pattern. Yeah, oh, my goodness. This Are is those a, leather pants, too? Looks like. And they have, the band members have matching coats. Yeah. I love it's, those guitars. I mean, it's, yeah, it's 1960. Of course they had matching coats. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's some pretty cool stuff. Um, but there was sort of a... a teddy... We should tweet some of these out so people can see it. Yeah, them. yeah, maybe I'll put them up on, on Twitter or something. Um, too bad we don't have an Instagram. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, tell us if you want us to have an Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> But it was sort of brought, revived in, you know, the 70s with the sort of rock and roll revival. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, you can see some of the sort of lineage of the Teddy Boy in, like, 80s New Wave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Ducky in Pretty in Pink is very Teddy Boy with mm-hmm. his, like, pompadour hair yep. slicked back and the jackets and the, like, bolo ties and stuff. Yeah. Like... I love it. Uh, it's just really stylish and really fun. But there's this great quote that I want to find in this article. Um, because it's like you see them and you're like, wow, look at these fancy boys. I like them. Um, but this guy, uh, you weren't here when the Teddy Boys arrived on the scene in the 50s, a friend of Rolling Stone writer Jerry Hopkins said. London doesn't remember them with any fondness. Those crepe soled shoes they wear, they had razor blades sunk in the toes. No, London doesn't remember the Teds with any fondness. <laughs> like, these were just mean kids. Uh, and they're real stylish. Like, straight up Edwardian. Like, the girls are wearing, like, 
pencil skirts with these big wool jackets. The one wearing pants right there is iconic because pants in the 50s. Right. It was a new thing for women to be Mm -hmm. doing. Um, But there's like a blouse with like a cameo at the throat. Like it's Mm -hmm. really, you know, very Edwardian. And it's fun to see because it's like these are the street hooligans. Like (laughs) these are the dangerous kids. He's wearing a coat with a velvet collar yeah. like <laughs> and again this is the the privilege of yes of being a hooligan at this point these kids are rich enough to be hooligans yes yeah. uh but yeah so that's the teddy boys of the 1950s i just found <laughs> that to be fascinating and i think we have an extra bonus five minute masters of we last night oh, sure, we were we were in it. a google hole yeah wait, i don't know what we were doing how do we even get there i wanted to know what animal was associated with a certain star oh, sign we, yeah we saw something associating animals with the star signs oh it that... was it was um scorpio was associated with not a scorpion yeah and we were like wait what is the what even is this where yeah. is this coming from yeah. so then we did some searching and we found primal zodiacs <laughs> It's just made up by this guy. It's made up by this guy, and it's a combination of your star sign and your, your Chinese, Chinese zodiac. zodiac. And so it's like a Digimon fusion of <laughs> your star sign and this animal. Yeah. And so I am a Virgo ram or sheep, mm-hmm. which makes me <laughs> a flamingo. Yeah, and I'm a Gemini <laughs> sheep, and so I'm a centipede. Not sure where that's coming from. But... The, the fun thing is how accurate, for at least for us two, well, yeah, and they I, were. And I do think that we're people who sort of identify with our zodiac yeah. and, and astrological signs. So I, I think probably what, what dude did is he just took the attributes of the two signs yeah. and sort of meshed them together. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, that is stuff that I already knew about myself <laughs> from my signs. So, I mean, because the, the centipede did have a lot of Gemini in it. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it did. So... But it was, it was a pretty interesting little... Right. What was the website called? Um, I saved it. Yeah, just so that Primal people... Primal Astrology. Yeah, it's primalastrology.com. So you can find it if you're interested in finding your primal astrological sign. There are so many of them because there's one for all of these combinations. Yeah, and you get nine paragraphs about you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's fun if you like that woo-woo silly stuff. And the and famous people that also are your, your same animal. So famous flamingos or centipedes. <laughs> it's funny, hilarious, and really interesting. Yes. So, something fun to do. If that's, if that's your jam. As it is ours. Um, so today we've got a fun topic because I had a hankering to watch... The Christopher Guest film, Waiting for Guffman. So I just bought it and I was like, Alex, we're going to watch this. Well, I hadn't seen it, but I had heard multiple podcasts that I was listening to in a week. Like, all mention. I mean, they might not have mentioned them the same week because I might just, I was behind or whatever. Um, But they all mentioned, like, that they were either going to be watching Waiting for Guffman or, like, they were quoting Waiting for Guffman. They were quoting um, Eugene Levy's character when he says... um, I wasn't the class clown, but I, clown, but I studied him. <laughs> I sat next to him and I studied him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we decided we want to talk about mockumentary. Yeah. Um. So what are your thoughts? Let's let's just start with Waiting for Guffman. Cause... Let's start with Waiting for Guffman. So this was the first time I've ever seen it. Um, I've seen other Christopher Guest uh, movies and uh, uh, multiple mockumentaries. This one was, I think, probably 
the most successful in being believable, at least for the first two thirds of it. Right. And then it gets a little wild. And then it gets a little wild. Um, but it doesn't come right at you with the absurdity. Oh, no, no. The absurdity, there's no, initially there's not really any absurdity because, I mean, it's a small town in Missouri. Uh-huh. There's going to be some weird people. Right. It feels maybe a little Errol Morris of just like, oh, here's just a weird study of these odd people that yeah. live in this strange mm-hmm. place. Like, yeah. it feels, yeah. I mean, Corky, Christopher Guest's character is a little out there, but like, I've known Corky's. Like, I've known, <laughs> I've known that guy. Like, <laughs> you just, you meet that guy when you do theater. And yeah, just, you know, Eugene Levy's just playing, you know, a nerdy dentist, dentist. who's just like got this dream of like maybe i could do something exciting yeah and like you've got the obnoxious couple played by fred willard and uh catherine o'hara that mm-hmm. are just like they think they're so they're great. the seasoned pros yeah they're the seasoned pros but they're just travel agents they're just travel agents a, a dead career now yes uh and then parker posey is just the girl who she's the, the ingenue the ingenue from who the dairy queen from dairy queen yeah they're mm-hmm. great like it, they're just it's they're all Characters that are really grounded in reality. Like, yeah. I feel like with um, something like uh, Best in Show, there may be a little bit more broad It's a little more, more like, look at these people, point and laugh at them. Yeah. like Because they're immediately strange. Uh-huh. Like, they're weird pet people. And there are weird, weird pet people, and we all know somebody who's a little bit weird <laughs> than a pet person. But these are, like... Absurd. Absurd yeah. pet people. Because they're not just absurd... Pet people, they're absurd people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and Corky, he has my favorite line in the in the movie when he's upset at the council, the city you're council. Just you bastard, bastard people. people. <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> bastard people. Well, and it's like when somebody's upset and they're a little flamboyant, they might say, say something, something like weird. that. And it's like endearing and hilarious yeah i mean and that's the thing i love corky because you know i feel like the impulse with that character type of like you know the theater gay Mm -hmm. is that they're gonna be kind of like bitchy or sassy and he's not like he's very flamboyant but in a very very sensitive he's very sensitive (laughs) and he's very kind and he's Mm -hmm. very supportive like his cast is absurd and terrible but he's so <laughs> proud of them like he's just so happy to be able to do this well and you'd think okay so basically if you haven't seen it uh, yeah we should probably you should see it yeah, but catch you up it's basically this um small town in missouri they're having their 150th year celebration of being founded so they are putting on a musical yeah the, it's of like the a, town's history. a whole big celebration there's like a parade and stuff and part yeah. of it is this like original musical about the history of yeah. of blaine missouri blaine missouri and corky st clair is um a failure of a theater person yeah, who he... went to New York, didn't do so great, and then came to Minnesota uh-huh. or uh, Missouri. Missouri, and he's now like the musical theater guy in yeah. town. And they all like believe in him really a lot. Yeah, like the they're te- like, oh the yeah, he, he's left and he's been other been outside in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He's from somewhere else. Yeah, but yeah, like the whole city council like really loves him and believes mm-hmm. in him. Like, and I think that. That is one thing that I find so lovable about this film over some other uh, 
of you know Christopher Guest's films and other films like it is it is very positive yeah. you know it's about these people it's like it's funny because they're not great but they don't know that and they all are so supportive and yeah. proud of each other yeah. and they just they're so proud they're of what they so hard. they're trying so hard and they're so proud of what they've accomplished yeah. and you know it doesn't end up the way they had hoped but it's not even because they weren't good because yeah. they're waiting for this New York cause apparently, it's because of a snowstorm yeah like <laughs> some it's called waiting for Guffman because this guy Mort Guffman is supposed to be coming from New York to like see their show in case maybe it's something that yeah. should come to New York and he doesn't show and so it's like you know their whole their hopes are pinned on this and he doesn't show but it's just he was just delayed like he just wasn't yeah. able to make it and he had every intention of being there and he just couldn't come and see the show unfortunately so it's like they all just did their best yeah. that's it and I love that it's so <laughs> positive I would say the the modern um equivalent to this movie is definitely uh parks and rec because it's mm -hmm. it's like there's the government angle there's just the the, the, the sort of overflow pride. Of, of pride and and positivity uh -huh. and like uh confidence in oneself yeah and just being supportive yeah. being friends like you know you sometimes clash but like at the end of the day you're there to help each other out yeah. and mm -hmm. it's it's really wonderful um, yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, Christopher Guest really um, kicked off the whole mockumentary thing with um, this is Spinal Tap, and also that was Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner directed it. Christopher Guest wrote it uh, and starred in it, and it, it was very interesting. Um, <laughs> I saw an interview with Rob Reiner talking about making this is Spinal Tap, and he was like, "People didn't understand that it yeah, as that a it movie. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. they were like." They thought it was about a real band yeah. that they just never heard of. And they were like, why would you make a movie about a bad band that no one's ever heard of? <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't understand yeah. mm -hmm. the idea behind it. Yeah. Which is so crazy. Because mm -hmm. um, now, you know, I mean, it's not like the most popular genre of film, but like, it's it's pretty prolific. Like, you, you see yeah. one every few years and it's... Well, that makes me think of the other thing we were talking about last night, where um, if you're if you're somehow out of the generation that something like this came from and you're watching it later, mm -hmm. you might not understand what's happening at all. Like we were talking about Billie Eilish who thought that Spice World was about a made up band. Yeah. Like, like it was Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. And then um, I think there was another thing that you... Oh, I read a terrible, terrible take <laughs> on Heathers. Uh... Oh no, but also... Um, Titanic. Oh yeah, people who like don't realize Titanic really happened, like they're and or are like then confused when they hear that, like why didn't the people making the film help anyone? And it's like it's, it's a not, fictional movie. It's a fictional movie about a real event. You you've seen movies like this before. Surely you know that that's a thing. Movies are made about real events. Uh, <laughs> Jack and Rose were not real. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah because we started talking about that because of the bad bad take on heathers yeah. um what a terrible take that was but yeah i mean and it's it's interesting though that people were a little confused about spinal hat because i mean it you know that was sort of before you know that was the first of the christopher guest mockumentaries and it wasn't like a huge genre but like they'd been made yeah. like woody allen made mockumentary Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't a new concept, and and you know it's it's also been seen in you know shorter form in like sketch comedy shows. Yeah. You know the Monty Pythons did well, yeah, and mockumentary only, type sketches. I think the people that it would be lost on are people that are just like going to the movies blind. Which who does that? 
Uh-huh. Like like going in without seeing a trailer, without knowing a little bit about what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's like, do you think Rob Reiner's gonna make an actual documentary about an actual band? Like, it's Rob Reiner. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking? And so I suppose that's why people were confused. They're like, yeah. Rob, why are you <laughs> making this film? Mm-hmm. I love this is Spinal Tap. It's such a funny, funny movie. Um, did you ever see The Gods Must Be Crazy? No. I think that one came out in 1970, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 pretty interesting. I feel like if I went back now, I would cringe because it's probably pretty racially insensitive. But I remember seeing it before and finding it pretty amusing. The idea is, um, I think it takes place in South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, it's about this man from sort of a an indigenous tribe that's not really had any contact with other civilization and a plane flies overhead and drops a glass coke bottle and he finds it and then it like completely changes their culture because they have this piece of technology Mm -hmm. that nobody's ever seen before and it's like you know this glass is way harder than any material they have like they just have like wood and they're like what is this and they're using it as a tool and it's pretty interesting and then they decide like it's tearing them apart and so he's (laughs) like i have to go and return this to the gods who dropped it and so he like goes on this journey to take this glass bottle back to the gods um but it's like narrated sort of Mm -hmm. like it's a like a documentary about you know, indigenous people. So I can't, I don't know if it is racially insensitive or not, um, because it's not like they're stupid. They just like have never seen anything like this before and they don't really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember it being cute, but if someone out there is like, oh my God, Ashley, how could you like that? I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you're probably right. I don't know. <laughs> now, what do you... There's not really a term for fake documentary that's not comedic. And obviously that's a thing. Yeah. Like Blair Witch Project. That you can't call that a mockumentary. Right. <sighs> I mean, and there's like the sort of it started the subgenre of like found footage. Right, right. But like that is mockumentary. Yeah. I would say I mean found footage is probably the closest but it, but I mean that pre- that predicates the the idea that it's that it is found footage. What if it is an intentionally made, you know? It's like what if the conceit of the story is that someone went and filmed something and then took it back and made the movie? Like yeah. and the footage wasn't so like a f- just like a false documentary. I, yeah, I swear there's got to be an example because oh, I just typed in the word false. <laughs> 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 That's not gonna give us any. Any th- real thing. Um, fake na- nature documentaries. Like, and I think that there is, um, oh, yeah, and like Ghost Watch. You know Ghost Watch? Oh, man, I want to see it so bad. It's really hard to get your hands on because the BBC doesn't want people to see it because of lawsuits. <laughs> um, it was in, what was it, in the, in the early 90s, I think, um, it was a Halloween special program on the BBC that was set up like 
a real news broadcast where mm-hmm. they're like, we're sending our a reporter, a special reporter, to the most haunted house in Britain, and we're reporting back. And so, the, you know, it's like, oh, what a fun, spooky thing for Halloween. And then, like, shit gets real. And yeah. they're, like, being haunted. And, like, it gets real crazy. And, like, there are people who are, like, well-known and beloved television personalities playing themselves who get terribly haunted and it looks like they die. Uh-huh. And people didn't know it wasn't real. <laughs> and, like... There were cases of people, like, actually, like, having medical problems caused by the watching this the program. The stress of it. The stress that, of it yeah. and stuff. And, like, children especially were, like, really yeah. bu- upset by this. And, like, the BBC was sued and they, like, don't let you see it anymore. <laughs> and I really want to watch it. But, like, that's a case of, like, this is not, it's mockumentary. Mm-hmm. But it's horror. So what is it? <laughs> I don't know, and the, the all this whole list that I just found is faux documentaries, and none of them are like they're all either horror or just like they're not comedies because I would have heard of them probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Ghost Watch, it's <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, it's oh, Lake Mungo. I've been kind of wanting to see that. I think that's one of Ali's favorite movies. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it looks really interesting. But yeah, like, it's weird to call them mockumentaries because yeah. the word mock sort of connotates funny. Yeah. But it also connotates imitation. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a genre that is yet to be fully explored. I mean, obviously, it can be kind of a dick move <laughs> to just like. <laughs> Like, try to pretend that it's really real. Well, yeah, and that is, you know, like like the Blair Witch, where it yeah. was like they really attempted to cause people to believe it was true. Yeah. Whereas Ghost Watch, I mean, they were just airing it, you know, War of the World style. Yeah. Um, and so it was like they didn't say it wasn't fi- real, but they didn't say it was. Yeah. Whereas, like, Blair Witch, there was a concerted effort to, like, make it look true. Yeah. So, I don't know. Because for the, a majority of this sort of style of movie or show are horror or comedy. Yeah. And we don't have a lot. And I'm sure that list that I briefly looked at has some stuff that it's like a little bit more in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. But I would be interested to sit down and watch one that is more of a docu- documentary drama. Yeah, or, I wonder how that you know, would work. Like, would it... I think it could. Well, and yeah, because part of sort of what is interesting about dramatic documentary is that it's true. Yeah. And so I wonder if it would still have the same appeal being untrue. Well, and if we take examples of some of the comedy mockumentary TV shows like The Office and like Parks and Rec, when they're at their best is when they're being really sincere and like emotional. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you would need the right premise, but I can't, I suppose, I, I've got no reason to believe it wouldn't work. Um, but it's kind of interesting that as far as I'm aware, it's not really been widely attempted. Yeah. Well, and it might just be hard to get funding for something like that. Because yeah. like, so it's not meant to entertain or inform. <laughs> it's simply, you know, and that's, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's yet to be examined or maybe it's there's some sort of weird ethical area there or yeah. like like meet i don't know yeah why do you suppose it is that that just the vast majority of things made in this fashion are comedy 
so that we can tell for sure that it's not fact. Because imagine like Cosmos. They're just lying the whole time. <laughs> like that's gonna really mess, mess up a lot of stuff. Well, but there's you know That'd not really not all not all you know factual documentary is like educational. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I brought up Errol Morris, and like he's got you know his documentaries that are more just sort of like portraits. Yeah. Or, or like the, the the example that I'm thinking of is that cat show documentary on Netflix. Where it's these two ladies with their fluffy cats going to all these cat shows. And, like, I, like it's not a comedy, but it's a real documentary. So, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know. Yeah. We'll, well have to do some more research. And I, because I, I think that with Christopher Guest's mockumentaries, they are more in the style of the, like, portrait documentary. Where it's like, here are these people and here is what they you know, endeavor to do mm-hmm. and that's it, you know, and then it turns into a fun story because they're fun and silly characters, yeah. but it's not supposed to be like an educational experience in the way that Cosmos is. It's yeah. just sort of seeing, it's like a, a lens into a different world. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because with that kind of, See, it's like a weird mindfuck kind of space that my head's drifting into. I'm like, this like, could be really morally to, wrong. Well, I'm trying to think of like a case where it's like, why it's not real. Because it's like, you know, like I'm just trying to imagine like waiting for Guffman, but it's not a comedy. Where it's just like a real story of people trying to put on theater. And it's like, maybe that would be interesting, but I'm not sure. Right. Uh... You know, I'm tr- like the first thing, the main thing that's coming to mind for me as far as how you, what kind of a story you could tell in that format might be like a fake true crime. Yeah. That could be an interesting thing. But I, again, I worry about like morality for that because well, if you would just thinks, have to make it very really clear to... in your marketing and your framing that yeah. like this is not based on true events. Hmm. <laughs> well, that might, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We're going to have to write <laughs> a, a drama mockumentary. Yeah. I, yeah, it's... I've also been sort of wondering about... Because we sort of got talking about mockumentary. Um, we got the idea to, to do this episode talking about uh, Parks and Rec and The Office and how at a certain point, like, the documentary aspect almost is not important anymore like it's filmed yeah, it's, in the it's style only, it's only the visual style and no longer and like the talking a, a heads plot. and stuff yeah but it's not about it being a document because at a certain point it just doesn't make sense anymore yeah. and there's stuff on film that it's like why would the documentary crew even be there why would they be filming this? or like especially in the last couple seasons of um parks and rec the flash forwards like Right. <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> How did you, yeah, did you wait that long to yeah, release you wa- this? You waited until the character died of old age, <laughs> and then, like, what? <laughs> right. And so I, I've been kind of thinking about, like, well, then... You believe that this documentary could have been made. Yeah. Not as.
Like, I was trying to find something of them talking about where they got the idea to make it a documentary. Yeah. Couldn't find it. Hmm. Like, what? you know, it's just a sitcom about office workers. Yeah. Why is it a documentary? That's a good, good point. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, it works, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like, they really started a trend in television mm-hmm. um, that, you know, hadn't really been delved into too much in, like long-form television very influential but why that's a good question we're hard-hitting morality questions today well it's not existential yeah not as immoral but it's just like what's that artistic choice like and i was reading an interesting sort of um op-ed article about like what the function of the mockumentary in television is now. And they were making the case that it was um, sort of the new laugh track. Yeah. Where it sort of gets you in on the joke. Well, and it also has its own sort of pacing. <laughs> so it, it, it gives you, oh, here is a an interview session. Yeah, the talking head thing mm-hmm. really does. It, it's, like, it's like a kind of dramatic irony. Yeah. And, and it gives you a space and a frame of which you can understand what's happening so that you can laugh at the right time. Uh-huh. Instead of, so there's no Yeah, that's what track. they were saying. Yeah. It's like, it, it sort of tells you where the punchline is. Yeah. In the way that a laugh track does. Yeah. Um, interesting. Because half of the talking head stuff is punchlines. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that Jim says yeah, when he's in the, the interview punchline. is a punchline. Yeah. Like, it's a joke. So I think it's like that... that interplay of awkward real life situation with person making a joke about it uh-huh. you know it's like stand-up meets sitcom sitcom yeah, yeah. oh no i'm having fr- like seinfeld flashbacks uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and and i think that it also does sort of let the audience in on things yeah. you know and have that that sense of like Jim told me this, but Dwight doesn't know it. Right, like, right, and so exactly. it lets you in on things that's that are hard to convey mm-hmm. without some kind of a narration. Yeah. Uh, so that's. I mean, yeah, I, I can see that, and I wonder. Like, I wonder if they, when they were conceiving of the office were considering that and that was the reason that they did it if that was something that had occurred to them like oh that's a good device for mm-hmm. doing these things or was it just wouldn't it be absurd if someone was making a documentary about the most boring place on earth i think that's probably how it started <laughs> honestly <laughs> like they're like what do we write about and they're like something boring but let's turn to figure like, out like yeah yeah uh, yeah i i'm i am really curious what that um well if you think about it that's kind of what an improv show is. No, oh, yeah? It's people trying to do some sort of real life situation with jokes with a viewer, with a with an audience right there with them. Yeah. So maybe that's how... It, and a lot of these uh, doc- mockumentaries are improvised. Oh, yeah. Or have huge swaths of improvisation. Yeah, I mean, that's the Christopher Guest style. Yeah, so I'm wondering if it just lends itself so well to improvising. Improvisation. (laughs) I said it right the first time. You did. (laughs) You did. Yeah. And I'm sure they're really fun to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. Parks and Rec looks like the 
like, have you seen some of the behind the scenes stuff? No. Oh my gosh. I'm sure. There's one scene where Chris Pratt just like makes a uh, a sex joke and no, like it takes the whole cast a second to get it and they're just like dying of laughter. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, because his character's an idiot. Right. So how would he have said something smart and funny? Right. You know. Right. It's like this unexpected moment. Yeah, where he doesn't get it, but they all get it. Yeah, and you know, I mean, mockumentary is not certainly not the only. Um, I mean, it's it's maybe the most common. Uh, sort of sub-genre of comedy to, to use that improvisational uh, technique. But, like, you know, the, you know, Anchorman, yeah. that was all very improvisational stuff. So, though I think it certainly lends itself to it. Well, because it's, it's like an improv scene. It's like the interviewer is asking questions, the actor is yes-anding. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, and apparently, I, I you know, in doing some background research for the episode i i was I, I was trying to look up you know about the office and how they came up with it and i found this interesting little i think it was on some kind of a panel or something um jenna fisher who played pam on the office talking about like first working on the office and she said you know the director called her up the day before the first day of shooting and she's like so we're gonna set you down for a talking head and we're gonna ask you about roy and i you know just I want to see where you're going to take it. Like, we're not going to tell you what to say. Just you go ahead and take it whatever direction you think you want to, and mm-hmm. we'll just run with it. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool, like, to to put so much storytelling in the hands of the actors. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, and, and, you know, uh, on that note, so the, uh, the <laughs> disc of Waiting for Government has a bunch of additional scenes mm-hmm. on it because you know they must have had three times that much material right, exactly like eight different scenes uh-huh. eight different versions of the same scene that could have all been in mm-hmm. the final version they just picked ones that fit the best together and there was the, that astounding extended musical number which is like how many parts is it it's like it's four the different entire solos cast yeah like they each have their own little they each have verse. their own part like it's great like i mean it's like it's i understand why they cut it because, because it was too good well and, and i think it was just too long <laughs> yeah like too. they just you know too, it, didn't, it was definitely too good it was pretty good <laughs> and it was just it was just long and it was yeah. like well this doesn't need to be here like it yeah. doesn't convey anything it's just part of the show so they cut it um but the uh, really interesting thing was to see some certain alternate takes of the ending. Yeah. Um, because there's a version of the ending that's a lot it's bleaker. It's so sad. It's a lot bleaker than what we got. And some of it was, you could tell, was the same. Like, they, it wasn't like a different scene. It was just they, they just, cut some out because... Yeah, with, with Eugene Levy's character. They just... Because he just it, goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, and on I even how, remember like a weird sort of crossfade yeah. cut. That I was like, huh, I wonder what they cut out. I guess he was just talking a lot and they decided not to use that bit. And what they cut out was that his, his wife, wife left, left him. him <laughs> and they have an infant son. <laughs> and he's living in Florida now trying to be a stand-up comedian at whereas, retirement home. Whereas in the original, or in the final cut, he's not trying to be a comedian at all. He's just being a singer. No, he was, he was. It, no, it, he was singing to the old people in the he? retirement home. Oh, mm-hmm. I think he was just doing sort of like. I, I, he was doing like variety. Yeah. But there's a le- much less of him trying to do comedy. Right. Yes, um, just having, I'm remembering that episode of Shit's Creek that we watched last night with Eugene Levy trying to do 
stand up. <laughs> oh, he's trying to roast trying to do the, the roast. mayor. So funny. Uh, but, yeah, like, there's this whole bit that they cut out of his, like, epilogue where he decided to go and try to be an entertainer in Florida and his wife divorced him. And it's really sad because through the whole movie, she's so loving and supportive of him. And so it almost feels kind of like out of place. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad they cut it because it would just be like, what? Like, she was so proud of him. Like, Same she... with the, the married couple. Yes. In, their, in the alternate version of their ending, they're unsuccessful. They're like, they've moved to Los Angeles, but they're like not doing anything. Yeah. And in the final cut... They've moved to Los Angeles. They're doing extra work, but they're pleased as punch. They're trying so hard. They're, like they're, they believe that it's gonna. Yeah, they're they're like, gonna make it. It, it. They're like, it's not what we expected, but we're still gonna we're, look we're at it positively. And we're 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 making progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you know, they were on the same page in the in the theatrical cut, whereas in the extended scene, like it looked like they were different people. Yeah, and like Catherine O'Hara's character just seemed so depressed yeah. like she was miserable and it's like mm-hmm. i don't want Catherine o'hara to be miserable right like that's a sad ending baby. the baby <laughs> yeah she, she's just wonderful and yeah they did they just they cut out a lot of the stuff that showed any strife in their relationship mm-hmm. like the, the baseball scene the base- where she's hung over and hung- he's just trying to play baseball <laughs> and she's just she's like not having it she's She's just standing by the like by the, the fence. The, by the fence, staring off in the distance. He's just talking about a stupid baseball game. Yeah, so dumb. Um, but yeah, like they cut out all of this more tragic stuff, and I think the movie is definitely the better for it um, in those cases because it's just like that. What I liked about the movie was how positive and happy yeah. it was, and so to have this strife, like they're you know in the the final cut of the film. There's no strife between them. Like, you can kind of see he kind of barrels over her sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, like, she just dotes on him. And she she really respects him. And she's very proud of him. And so when he has, you know, notes for her, she wants them. Right. She, she, she likes to have that relationship with him. Whereas leaving some of those scenes in would imply otherwise. Yeah. So my favorite, I haven't talked about it Yeah, yet. let's my, talk about it. My favorite mockumentary is Drop Dead Gorgeous. You're going to have to tell me about it because I haven't seen it. I, we are, I'm like fast tracking it here soon. Because, okay. So basically it's, as IMDb says, a small town beauty pageant turns deadly as it becomes clear that someone will go to any lengths to win. Exciting. So, but it's like, I see some of these people. Kristen Dunst is in it. She's Denise the, Richards she, is in it. She's the main character. Denise Richards is her foil. Oh, yes. Um, Kirstie Alley is Denise Richards' mom. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, Brittany Murphy? Brittany Murphy is like... Amy! She was a child. child. You're right. She's a very similar character in this, but she has the best line in the whole movie. So she's trying to live up to her brother, who is like... The, the golden child and she doesn't win this pageant but she's just happy to be there and she like got flowers and stuff and her parents are like well well so and so wouldn't brian wouldn't have done this or whatever wouldn't have lost and she's like you know what dad brian's gay gay <laughs> <laughs> and she just screams it it's so funny that's so funny but it's like it's it's a mockumentary 
and and a, an obvious one because I mean like people are dying. Right. <laughs> and and the ending is really really funny because it's like was any of this even worth it? Oh. But like just I mean and Kristen Dunst is a teenager trying to do a beauty pageant and she works part-time at the morgue. Love it. And she does the makeup on the cadavers. Oh my god, how that's insane. <laughs> That's insane. Like, and they all have Minnesota accents. Every single one of them. Oh, man. I gotta see this. I think it's... I forget the name of the pageant. It's like Minnesota Teen American Princess or something like that. Mm. Oh, and then... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Who is she? Who is she? Who oh, is Allison Janney's in it? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Allison Janney is Allison Janney in it. She plays Kirsten Dunst's mom. Um, I, there's some other person who is the, the former winner. Mm. And she's... Uh, there's some insensitivity looking back. She she got like uh, anorexia and it's like mm-hmm. a little off color. But <laughs> she does a performance of um, Don't Cry Out Loud <laughs> in a wheelchair <laughs> because she's so emaciated. And it's like, it's beautiful and so, okay, yeah. And oh, yeah, I can't no, remember who it is, this. but it's brilliant. We gotta watch this. Yeah. For sure. Oh my gosh. That's exciting. It's incredible. It's everything you've ever wanted. <laughs> awesome. Becky Ann Lehman. Oh my gosh. Kirstie Alley. Okay, so I'm a pretty big fan of Kirstie Alley. Mm-hmm. She's at her peak here. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's great. I mean... Look Who's Talking is great. I love Look Who's Talking. <laughs> I love um, the Amish one. Oh, God, I don't think I've seen that oh. with Tim Allen. That movie is, like, I'm not a huge fan of Tim Allen anymore. No, who is? But that movie is so good. It's so good. Yeah, she like okay, She, like, designs colorful outfits for everybody. It's amazing. That's so cute. <laughs> oh, man. I just got creepy reminder uh i in in researching i was just kind of reading some interesting articles trying to find something fun to talk about for the five minute masters and i found um some photos from the like fundamentalist church of latter-day saints or whatever that like creepy cult Mm -hmm. and i realized because there were like photos of like people living in their compound, um, that the bunker dresses from Kimmy Schmidt are a hundred percent, a hundred percent them. Like yeah. hairstyle and dress, mm-hmm. that's what that. I was like, oh man. Oh yeah, I remember as like Yeesh. a kid when they would show like, like com- oh yeah, when that whole thing went down and stuff, and mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is yeah. Yeah, there was like that big raid in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I just sort of remembered that. And it was creepy. <laughs> so, yeah. what uh, Final thoughts on mockumentary? On, uh, sorry. I like them. I do, too. <laughs> and, I, and I like... I'm interested in this idea of the how it sort of has replaced the, the laugh track to, like let people in on jokes yeah it's a it's it's a it's a visual and plot language i don't know if that makes sense but it's a it's an interesting device it's a structure yeah yeah not I, just a genre it's a structure and a. yeah it's a it's a whole a scaffold yeah yeah there's a lot of them you think <laughs> Catherine o'hara is just the best well then, um, 
do you have a recommendation? She did a Skylander's voice. What? Um hey, Asandra. Oh my god. Is she like a lady chaos? Hopefully. <laughs> what? Thank you, IMDb, for this joy. Oh my god. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara oh, is... She was in the new series of Unfortunate Events, too. Oh, I haven't I haven't finished that season. Okay, we just need to go through every, every Catherine O'Hara thing. Yes. Oh my gosh, iconic. She's so good. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> so what are you recommending this week, Alex? So we haven't watched a lot, but we both found music that we recommend. <laughs> nice. So I have four albums <laughs> or four things. Uh, Billie Eilish's new album just dropped, um, and she already had a lot of really hit, great singles come out, and um, there was more good on the album than just the singles, so that's pretty fun. That's that's always good news. That's always good. Um, I was re-listening to Fall Out Boy's Infinity on High, and if for some strange reason you've never listened to that album, what are you doing? <laughs> because it's perfection. Um, Marina's full album, or half of her... Double album Love came out of Love and Fear. Uh, there's some cool stuff on that that I made you listen to. Yes, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then Sarah Bareilles. Sarah. Had a new album. And I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but there's some really... I mean, it's classic Sarah Bareilles. Like, she's going to give you what you want. She's so good. She's going to. She's not going to write you a love song. <laughs> no. But she's going to give you something better. Yes. <laughs> she's going to make you um, feel better when you're a teenager and you have feelings. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gravity would mess me up. <laughs> that song, that's that's my real recommendation. Gravity by Sarah Bareilles. It's mm -hmm. off her first album, I believe. Well, the highest praise I can give her is that she wrote the Waitress Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. I do not usually like Broadway musicals based on movies. The Waitress songs is are good. so good. I cry every time at the Sugar Butter Flower like, overture. <sighs> oh, it's good. It's like yeah. one of the only ones I like. So there you go. That's yeah. the highest praise I can give. She mm -hmm. wrote a Broadway musical based on a movie, and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably... Well, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but it, I mean, the soundtrack is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My recommendation is also musical, um, because our pal Jonathan Colton <laughs> just... <laughs> Came out with a new album that I have been eagerly anticipating. It's called Some Guys. And it is all very accurate covers of 70s soft rock music. <laughs> and I love it. I made Alex listen to it while we were putting together Ikea chairs. Um, but he covers <laughs> so many good songs. Alone Again Naturally, The Things We Do For Love, Baker Street, Easy... Uh, it's just, it's so good. How Deep Is Your Love? He did How Deep Is Your Love. These are such good covers. Like, they're so accurate, it's insane. And I know that sounds like the weirdest thing. Like, why would you just try to cover a song and sound exactly like the original? But it's it's a real accomplishment that they managed to make it sound this much like the original tracks. Mm -hmm. Except Jonathan Colton is singing them. It's a lot of fun. It's on Spotify. If you're into 70s soft rock, you should give it a listen. I mean... I mean, you're already maybe listening to us on Spotify, so... So it's, it's just about skipping a jump, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's... Okay. Let's bring it home, huh? That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and elsewhere. 
please review and subscribe so more nerds can find us. We appreciate it, and it really does make a difference. Talk to us, answer our questions, look for maybe pictures if we decide to post them yeah. on our Twitter, at LitMeritPod. And thanks to Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Fraud, from his album, Artificial Heart. Until next time, remember... No, no guilty, guilty pleasures, pleasures, David! David, baby! <laughs> <laughs>